Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they I felt, felt I feel right. I was so and I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're bringing you two of our favorite stories that have aired in years past, from Story Collider board members John Rennie and Gastor Almonte. This Tuesday, December 6th, the Story Collider is holding an epic online show as our end-of-year fundraiser, featuring stories from nine of the master storytellers on our board of directors. We hope you will join us on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The link is in the notes for this episode. It's totally free to attend, but you can donate to Story Collider to vote for the winner of our All-Star Slam. Our nine competitors are all storytellers you have heard and loved on this podcast before. Our board president, Eric Jankowski, Natalia Reagan of Nat Geo and Star Talk fame, Steve Zimmer, who has won the moth 40 times, as well as the amazing and fabulous Andrea Jones-Roy, Brandon Ogbonu, Latasha Wright, Ken Haller, and more. Find out more about each of our competitors on our website at storycollider.org. To get everybody excited for Tuesday's show, we're going to reshare two past stories from board members who will be competing in the All-Star Slam, science journalist and editor John Rennie and comedian Gastor Almonte. Our first story today is from John Rennie, and this is the very first story John ever told on the Story Collider stage. Believe it or not, this story was recorded in June 2011 at our first anniversary celebration in Brooklyn. History will remember the year 1979 for many different reasons, uh, the death of Disco, the start of the Iranian hostage crisis. But for me, uh, 1979 will always be the year that I remember as the year that a rat almost castrated me. So here's how that happened. Um, in the fall of 1979, I was a 20-year-old college junior. I was uh, majoring in biology, and I was taking a lab practical course in neuropsychology. Now, neuropsychology meant that uh, what we were studying was how various brain structures and hormones influenced behavior. And it was a lab practical because that meant that we studied this by doing unpleasant things to rats. Um, I don't want to get into or try to defend the ethics of this uh, beyond saying that, you know, this is just, this is what we did back in those days. And as this story will illustrate, I was very much a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. And if it makes you feel any better about this, bear in mind that, as I've said, at the end of this story, a rat almost castrates me. <laughs> 
Uh, I had a lab partner in this class, a pre-med named Randy. Now, Randy was a, you know, he's a tall, athletic, good-looking guy with a girlfriend. He was functionally the opposite of me in pretty much every possible way. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he had a very, very, uh, busy social life, uh, that, that, uh, he would constantly be having to go off and, and, you know, see the girlfriend or, uh, he would have to be rehear- off of practicing with, uh, the sports teams that he was on and he would get back to me sometime and he would he would sometimes then point out that he didn't really have the time to work with me outside of class when we needed to take care of the animals or write up our results the way that we should and he would say to me uh, with this kind of teenage Lothario charm that would kind of wander sometimes between genuinely suave to just sort of greasy and he would say things like Ah, hey, John, listen, um, I know we haven't really finished uh, sewing up this rat, but um, I've got a practice this afternoon. Do you think maybe you could uh, just finish this up for us? And... And I would say, yes, I would, I would go along with him on this because this was the sort of person that I was, as, an, as I had been from birth. All of my life, I had been a guy who would avoid conflict by putting other people's interests ahead of my own. So I was, I was, for example, I was the roommate who would get up at the crack of dawn so everybody else could take showers at a more convenient hour. Um, in, in my freshman year, I actually took a worse final grade in a class because I could not bring myself to point out to the professor that he had not given me credit for work that I had done. I don't know where this all came from. I'm assuming it was some sort of, of issue of, of countless generations of Irish Catholic guilt bearing down on me and just you know, this voice in my head that was saying, you let them have the last piece of cake. You're their big brother. You should watch out for them. I don't know. But Whatever it was, it was something like that. So, so when these problems would come up, when Randy would ask these things, I would go along with him. And I have to point out, he wasn't being malicious or unethical in any way. It's simply that he had a very full life, and so it just naturally expanded into the void of mine. <laughs> so around Halloween of that year, we were learning about the structure in the brain known as the hypothalamus. Now, as you may know, the hypothalamus is, is a part of the brain deep uh, down at the bottom that is very much involved with many of our, our basic drives and uh, our, our ability to uh, regulate how much food we eat and water we drink and how much sleep we need. And, uh, and we were studying this that week by doing a certain sort of classic experiment in neuropsychology, which it was well known at, this, known at this time that if you took a rat and if you used electricity to zap one particular tiny part of its hypothalamus, the ventromedial nucleus of the hypothalamus, uh, the rat would change its behavior and it would lose all of its ability to regulate how much it ate. It would eat uncontrollably. It was seemingly insatiably hungry. And in fact, if you gave it uh, an unlimited amount of food, it would eat and eat and eat until it swelled up like a little white furry football. And uh, so in this experiment, the way things were supposed to be, on Thursday, Randy and I were supposed to zap the rat, and we did. And then we would give it a couple of days to recuperate. And then uh, on starting on Saturday, Randy would come to the lab and begin weighing the rat 
as we would then take turns doing that for two weeks to document what would be its amazing increase in weight. So we did the experiment, the first part of it, we waited, and on Saturday night, the phone rang. And it was, of course, Randy. And Randy is saying, ah, John, hi, listen, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I was studying all afternoon, and I promised my girlfriend that I was going to take her out tonight. So uh, do you think maybe you could get over to the lab and uh, uh, take care of the rat for us? As it worked out, I actually had plans for that evening. I was, this particular evening was one of the very rare times I had actually steeled up my courage enough that I was going to take myself off to a dance party so that I could stand in a dark room and uh, not meet girls. Um, um, and I had already dressed, in fact, by this time, uh, because I was, you know, and I had put on, like, my nicest-looking polyester shirt and these amazing white flare-bottom pants, which I, I'm pretty sure, even by the dubious standards of the late 70s, was not a good look. Um, but Randy asked this, and I said yes, I would go do it, because... You know, I rationalized it to myself, getting over to the lab and weighing the rat, that won't take very much time. And, you know, when I get to the dance, all the girls I wasn't going to meet will still not be there for me anyway. So, you know, what's the harm? And so I hung up the phone and I headed off to the laboratory, uh, which was in a building that was quite dark and empty there on a nearly Halloween night, because, of course, it was also a Saturday night. The room where we kept the rats was a painted cinder block room about 15 or 20 feet on a side. And there was really nothing in it except for a couple of big uh, shelving units on wheels that were filled with the wire basket cages in which the rats lived. And uh, I arrived at the room and I approached the cage that held our rat. And let me just say, by the way, that uh, the, the breed of rat known as the Sprague Dolly CD provided by Charles River Associates is a wonderful animal. Uh, it, it's really, it's a very charming, cute little creature. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, it's friendly and it's clean and, and it's really, it's quite, a, quite adorable. And hundreds of generations of breeding have made them really quite, quite docile. But not this one. No, as I drew closer to that cage, the rat threw itself against the wire mesh at the front of the cage and wrapped its little rat fingers around the mesh and took its great big two chisel incisor teeth and started frantically biting, biting, biting at the wire mesh, trying to cut its way free. For a rat, this is the equivalent of a prisoner in a jail taking his metal cup and banging it against the bars of the cell. And, and I was so taken by this that I actually, I took a wooden pencil and I stuck it into the, the cage just to see what would happen. And the rat threw itself on the cage, uh, onto the pencil, and immediately just started chomping down through the wood of this. Now, this is not a good thing because, you see, I have to reach into that cage to pick up the rat so that I can take it out and weigh it. But fortunately... uh a big, thick leather work glove has been provided for precisely this purpose. So I put on the heavy leather work glove, I pull open the cage, I reach in, and the rat furiously throws itself onto the glove and uses its two giant incisor teeth to bite through the thick leather 
and directly into the thin webbing of skin between my thumb and index finger. At this point, simply on reflex and in pain, I draw my hand out of the cage with the rat still dangling from it by its teeth, whereupon the rat, realizing that it has basically gotten over the prison wall, lets go and drops to the floor and runs for the safety underneath one of the shelving units. Well, I have to get this rat back, because this is our experiment. But there is no one there I can turn to for help, and I can't even open that door to go anyplace, because I'm afraid that if I do, the rat will immediately bolt for the door and run out into the darkened building. And so, I jump down and I reach under the shelving unit, and the rat immediately runs to the other side. And I go down and I reach for the other end, and it runs back to the other side. And I start to push the shelving unit aside, because it is on wheels, and the rat just runs to the other shelving unit. And we do this for more than 25 minutes, with me constantly chasing the rat through the small cement room, and the rat constantly evading everything I can do, until the rat finally miscalculates. At <laughs> yes, I outsmarted the rat. At one point, the rat, in trying to get away from me, should have turned left and run for the other shelving unit, but instead it turned right, and ran off into a corner of the room that was completely empty. It was nothing but painted cinder block, nothing for it to run into or hide behind or, or do anything to do to evade me. And I had it. And so with a leather glove on one hand and a metal bucket I was holding in the other that I could then weigh the rat in, I closed in to now catch the rat. And the rat, realizing it had no place to hide, changed tactics and charged directly at me. And before I knew what could ha was happening, the rat had climbed up over my foot and grabbed my sock and begun to climb up inside my white flare-bottomed pants. So there I stood with an insanely vicious, insatiably hungry rat climbing up my thigh. And in that moment, uh, I actually remember two distinct trains of thought. One part of me was sort of remarkably removed, and it said, this is just getting comical. <laughs> because, uh, really, this should be happening to Randy. <laughs> and the other part of me is beyond words and is just screaming incoherent, Gah! And that's the part that grabs control of my body. And I'm now hopping up and down on one leg and thrashing the other leg around as hard as I can, desperately trying to shake the rat loose. And I'm batting at my leg with both hands. The little metal can that I was holding, that flies across the room, clatters against the shelves. I'm jumping around the room, screaming and yelling, batting at my leg, shaking my leg for I don't know how long. It was probably a good minute and a half. And then finally I got lucky in that after all of this jostling around, the rat finally lost its purchase on the inside of my pants and suddenly came cannonballing out of the flare-bottom pant leg, flew across the room, bounced not too hard against one of the other walls, and fell to the floor dazed. Sufficiently dazed that I could run back over there with the metal basket, slam that over the top of the rat, and pick it up and weigh it. 
because that is why I was there. Footnote, the rat over the next two weeks didn't gain an ounce. We had failed to make a hungry rat, we had simply made an angry rat. And when I put the angry rat, which had quickly recovered from this whole ordeal, far better than I had, when I put it back into its cage and it you know, threw itself back up against the front again and was just like giving me this look like, you win this round, but I'll never give up. I'll escape yet. As I stared at it, I, I, I had two, two revelations, two thoughts that really should have occurred to me much sooner in life. The first one was that if this rat, this simple little animal could stand up for itself against me and try to, to escape against impossible odds, then surely I ought to be able to stand up for myself against the Randys of this world. And the other realization I came to was that there's just never any excuse for white flare-bottomed pants. It just isn't. Thank you. That was John Rennie. John has worked as a science editor, writer, and lecturer for more than 30 years. Currently, he's deputy editor at Quanta Magazine. During his time as editor-in-chief at Scientific American between 1994 and 2009, the magazine received two National Magazine Awards. He co-created and hosted the 2013 series Hacking the Planet on the Weather Channel. And since 2009, he's been on the faculty of the Science, Health, and Environmental Reporting Program in New York University's Graduate Journalism School. John has told many other stories on our podcast before. Check out our website to find out about all of the other times science has tried to kill John Rennie. And before we continue, as always, remember you can check out our website for upcoming live shows around the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., as well as opportunities to learn how to tell your own science story through one of our storytelling workshops. For more updates and cool behind-the-story pictures and other awesome content, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Find us at Story Collider. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like all of us at the Story Collider, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters receive an ad-free version of this podcast as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our second story is from Gastor Almonte. It was recorded in January 2017 at Under St. Mark's as part of Horse Trade Theater Group's annual STEM Fest. So, uh, let's see here. Um, I was putting uh, my son to bed recently, right? And he's like, uh, Dad, is Uncle Gabriel a scientist? Um, my brother Gabriel is a 16-year-old kid who just cheated on his Spanish test. <laughs> We're Dominican, so that's extra bad, by the way. No, he's not a scientist. Why, why do you ask me that, Aiden? He said, well, you told me that scientists discover stuff. I'm like, okay. He said, well, when I was at grandma's house, Uncle Gabriel came home and he was like, yo, I just discovered the new Jordans. <laughs> That's not the same thing, little man. You know, and I put him to bed and I stepped out, but I realized they're, they're kind of similar, right? You know, research scientists, and teens, they got the same goal. They want, they want to know the information first. That's all, you know, that's what it comes down to. They want to know the cool shit first. Only thing different is when the research scientists discover some cool shit first, they want to tell you how they discovered that shit for 20 pages. <laughs> they want to talk about that shit. They care about the process. I don't care, but they want you to know. Teenagers are different. They want to be the process. They don't want to tell you how they discovered it. They just want to tell you that they are the reason you know. And the other thing is, scientists, they want everyone to know. They'll put it out there. They want to share the good news. Teenagers are picky as fuck, but they discover some new things. Like if a teenager discovers the cure for cancer, you're aware that only their friends are getting saved, right? Like, like we're just fucked. That's just not in the cards for us, you know? I'll give you an example. See, when... uh. When I was 13, I was coming home from school. I was on a B13 in Brooklyn, junior high school, eighth grade, coming home with my whole class, right? We all on the bus. And I see all the girls there in the back of the bus. They're all giggling. Ha, 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 y'all can't believe that shit happened. Boy, that's crazy. I want to know. I'm cool. I want to know what's going on. I walk over to the back. They're like, yo, what happened? They're like, oh, you know, y'all, nah, we can't tell you. They all, they start laughing again. Now I really want to know. So I start playing, you know, guess who? You know, that cool game? I play that in person. Cause that's, that's. <laughs> see, see, that's what teenagers do when they want to know shit. They pretend that they know, but then they start asking questions to give them hints to what the real thing is. Don't front like y'all don't do that shit. I do that shit all the time, <laughs> you know? Oh, you know such and such? Oh, hell yeah. Yo, what they look like though? <laughs> that's not just me, I know. So I'm in the back of the bus. I'm like, yo, for real though, what happened? They're like, yo, you, you, didn't, see, you didn't see who had an erection today in class? 
And I'm like, oh, nah, nah, who was it? And they start giggling again. And then they're like, yo, it happens to them all the time. Oh, that's the third time this week. So now I'm really curious. Now, up until this point, I didn't know what an erection was. <laughs> so I discovered what an erection was this week. But I had to do recon, and I didn't want them to know that I didn't know what an erection was. Uh, let me be clear, by the way. I had erections at this point. I knew what an erection was. I didn't know what erection meant. Like, I didn't know that thing that was happening to me every morning was called an erection, you know? I want y'all being like, damn, like, I'm really sorry for this guy. Yeah. So yeah, I had erections. I knew what erections was. I didn't know that erection meant what was happening. Cool, we on board. All right. So, I'm like, how do I figure this shit out? So. When you play Guess Who, most people, I know I'm not the only one, you try to eliminate half of the people up front. So I asked the wrong question, you know? So I said, yo, so was it a boy or a girl? <laughs> Funny enough, the same thing happened there. They started laughing too. You know, they start cracking up. The thing is, I played it off. I was like, yeah, it's crazy. They're like, yo, Gaston, you so funny, that's funny. I'm like, hell yeah, I killed it, I walked away. Had a high note. Whole class thought I made this funny ass joke. I still don't know shit. Someone in class got an erection. I don't know what it is. It's either a boy or girl. And whichever one it is, it's ridiculous that it's not the other. I live this shit, you know? So I go home, I get changed, you know? I'm Dominican, I play baseball all the time. That's what we do. I had a game that day, I go to the game. You know, I was pitching, it was hot. It was about to be summertime, you know? It was almost the end of school year. And I fainted during the game, you know? So my mom rushes, she sees me on the floor, she picks me up with the coach, and they're like, yo, you okay? And I'm like, I'm not feeling too well. They take me to the doctor. I go to the doctor and I'm explaining to him how I felt. Um, and Dr. Harvey's like, hey, yo, um, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm not feeling too well, I'm a little dizzy. Um, I didn't really have anything to eat early. I'm not feeling too well. And he's like, uh, were you feeling like that all day? And I'm like, uh, nah, just, just during the game. And my mom is standing there. She's like, yeah, he's fine, he's fine. I gave him food this morning, I don't know what happened. And Dr. Harvey looks at her and he looks at me and he's like, you mind stepping out for a minute, Miss Almonte? And she's like, sure. She walks out the room and then he turns into a cop. He's like, yo, Gas, so you done drugs? You been drinking? I'm like, yo, we had a good rapport going. Mr. Harvey, we've been, I've been coming here for years. You would know if I was doing something like that. Why, why would you ask me that? He's like, I just wanted to make sure you felt comfortable sharing. I asked your mom to leave the room. Do you, do you drink? Do you take drugs? You, you take pills? I'm like, no, I don't do any of these things, sir. I play baseball. I crack jokes. That's what I do. I go to class. So okay. But why would you ask me that, sir? He's like, because people that drink... They take pills and they do drugs on occasion. They feel lightheaded. They fall down, they faint. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so I go home, I get some, you know, Gatorade, you know, I hydrate, I go to school. You know, I go to school that week, that and that following week on Monday. Now, this was towards the end of the school year. So we had a little party. Um, this was eighth grade, we're graduating. So everybody wants to kind of throw their getaway, you know, we're graduating party kind of thing. And this is also the first time I'd been at parties with alcohol. I didn't want to drink. I refused to drink. Alcohol kept being spilt on me, though. So everybody assumed that I was drinking, all right? 
<laughs> now, people thought I was drinking. I wasn't drinking. But I like the fact that people thought I was drinking because now I'm cool. So I ran with that shit. So we in school on Monday. They're like, yo, gas store. Yo, you, you were drinking with a suit? Man, I was feeling great. And they're like, yo, what it feel like, man? That was the first time I was drinking. How about you, Gaston? Man, I drink all the time. <laughs> so what would you feel like? I didn't get a chance to have none. So I'm starting to say what the doctor say. Like, y'all felt lightheaded. <laughs> you know? Felt like I was in all there. And they're like, yo, that sounds great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does, it does. And I poked that shit off. So then, you know, we hanging out, we're talking about the party, and they're like, yo, did you see Crystal's homegirl? Her cousin came to the party too. Yo, she had a period. I'm like, how'd you know? They're like, yo, she had a stain on her pants. And in my head, I'm trying to figure out what a period is. <laughs> and why having a stain on your pants is a giveaway for this situation. <laughs> so I, I go to, I go, I'm trying to figure out, is this a situation where I could ask Crystal? Or would she get mad if I asked Crystal about her friend having a period? I don't know how to play this one out, you know? So I start hanging out with the girls at lunch that day to see what they talk about. And I'm, I, I, I wait for Crystal to leave the crowd. And I'm like, yo, did her friend have a period? Is she okay? Is she good? <laughs> and they're like, yo, gas, so that's real sweet of you to ask. I'm, I, I don't, period sounds scary as hell. <laughs> They're scary now, and I know what they are, but imagine at the time, like, you're hearing this shit. That's traumatizing, you know? They were legit concerned, like, and they were impressed that I was concerned, you know? So I'm like, all right. I'm like, so what happens? They're like, yo, you know, like, she, she was getting cramps. Her stomach started hurting, and I think it was the first one, so she wasn't ready. It was embarrassing. So I'm like, yo, that's crazy. But I still don't know what a period is. <laughs> You know, so I go home, I get ready for the baseball game, you know? And I'm like, yo, I should faint again and go to the doctor's office and ask him questions about periods. <laughs> and I can learn what this is that I apparently was real nice to know and care about happening to this young lady. So I listened to what they were telling me happened to her. So I fall down on the floor again. I didn't do a good job. I'm not a good actor. <laughs> so my mom rushes over. She's like, you feel lightheaded again? I'm like, yeah, plus my stomach's hurting. It's cramping, ma. <laughs> Think I'm spotting, too. <laughs> what? <laughs> you go to the doctor's office again. Harvey's like, what's going on, man? I'm like, yo, my stomach's cramping. It's really hurting me. I think I had a period. Dr. Harvey looks at me, he's like, Gas, I don't think you know how this works. Do you have some questions? I was like, Dr. Harvey, I'm gonna be real with you. I don't know what a period is. But I need to know. He's like, why do you need to know what a period is? He's like, because I didn't know what alcohol made you feel like till I came here last time. I need to know that either. But knowing that made me the man. I want to know what periods are because I could keep being the man and being involved in these conversations. He's like, you could just ask me that over the phone without pretending to faint. <laughs> I, like, I was like, Dr. Harvey, if I ask my mom to give me the phone so I can call the doctor so I can figure out what these things are, she's gonna get suspicious. I was like, okay, I hear you, I hear you. So he explains to me what a period is. That shit is incredible. Kudos to y'all, by the way, that's just wild. 
<laughs> Y'all don't get credit enough for that shit because that shit. See, like, or everyone here is an adult, so I'm assuming it's been happening for at least half your life or more. <laughs> for those of you that aren't aware, it's crazy what happens there every month. You see that? Shit? It's wild. Like, if it happened for anything else in your life, you would just be, like, so impressed. Like, imagine if, like, some new, like, television came out and, like, once a month, that television, if you, like, rubbed it next to the refrigerator, would make a new appliance. <laughs> and if it didn't need to make a new appliance, it would just discard said ability and do it again. <laughs> Every month, it just gives you this option. That's incredible. I would pay so much for that TV. And we have people right next to y'all that do this shit all the time. And we just dismiss, we don't even think about that shit. It's an aisle at Rite Aid that just stops it from happening. That's crazy. It's a superpower, I'm convinced. So he explains this shit to me. I was like, all right, cool. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. I walk out. My mom asks me if I'm okay. I said, I'm feeling better, Ma. We get to the counter. She's about to pay the copay. And I'm like, oh shit, I forgot to ask him about erections. <laughs> so I'm like, oh ma, I feel lightheaded again. Give me one second, I'll run into the room. <laughs> you know? And Dr. Harvey's like, what's going on? I need this room. He's like, I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you one thing. He's like, what's that, Gaston? I was like, what's an erection? And he starts laughing. He's like, that's the other end of the convo that we just had about the periods. He's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? He's like, that starts happening to girls when they're becoming women. That starts happening to guys when they start becoming men. So okay, he walks me through that whole process, and I learned what an erection was from Dr. Harvey, and now I knew how ridiculous my question sounded to those girls, <laughs> you know. And I was thinking over my head to make sure I played it right, that I pulled that shit off, but I felt good, you know. So I go home, I relax for the day, I go to sleep, I wake up the next morning, and my dad is sitting in my room, and he's like, "Yo, you okay?" And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, but I paid three copays this week. <laughs> and every time something was wrong with you, the doctor kept asking your mother to leave. She wanted to make sure you fine. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you, you've been fainting at the games. She wants to know what's going on. What's going on? Why, why, why are you at the doctors? You're fainting all the time. Talk to me. He's like, it starts with erections, dad. He's like, erections? You been fainting because of erections? How? How big do you think your penis is that is causing you to faint? And I'm like, like, no, Dad. I had a question about erections. I asked Dr. Harvey, and he schooled me to the questions. I'm like, why'd you need to ask Dr. Harvey about erections? I would have answered those questions for you. It's like, Dad, this is the most awkward conversation I've ever had in my life. I definitely did not want to have this with you ever, you know? He's like, well, next time you have these questions, you got to ask me. I was like, why? I was like, I'm here to answer those things, A. And B, you ain't here to cost me $90 in co-pays <laughs> over these erections, you know? <laughs> so going forward now, I got my own son. He's six. He's going to be seven this year in March. And I tell y'all. If you have a boy, when he's a preteen, a teen, and you see him fainting, ask him if he has questions about erections. <laughs> you know? He's either really blessed or he's really confused, but either way, <laughs> he's gonna appreciate your concern, you know? Thank you.
Gastor Almonte. Gastor is a stand-up comedian and storyteller from Brooklyn, New York. He's appeared on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening and Peacock's True Story. Time Out Magazine named him one of your new comedy obsessions. His debut comedy album, Immigrant Made, was released in March 2019 and topped the charts. And in addition to being a member of our board, Gastor is also one of our senior producers. If you're in New York City, you can catch him in person on Monday hosting a comedic Story Collider at Caveat. The Story Collider is so grateful to John and Gastor for sharing their stories with us and for all nine of the storytellers who will be sharing their stories on Tuesday at our All-Star Slam. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, along with managing producer Misha Gajewski and senior podcast editor Jun Chen, with help from education director Lily B. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow Edith Gonzalez, and operations manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by me and my Story Collider co-founder, Ben Lilly, and by Nissa Greenberg. Our theme music is by Ghost. We hope to see you at the All-Star Slam on Tuesday. It's going to be a night of stories to remember. We so appreciate everyone who has already donated and plans to attend and donate. Your generosity makes our work possible. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.